Welcome to this special edition of the Ambition Podcast, which is kindly sponsored by Peregrine Global Services. Later in the program, I'll be talking to Olin Odekoven, who's the founder and president of Peregrine Global Services, to ascertain his thoughts on the new normal for business education. But before that, my colleague Ellen Buchan caught up with Steve Vanderveld, the new chairman of AMBA's International Accreditation Advisory Board and professor at Rotterdam School of Management, Erasmus University, to find out what his thoughts on the current situation for business education are, and also to find out what innovations in higher education he's particularly interested in. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career, please? Uh, so, my name is uh, Stefan van der Velde. I'm Dutch. I used to be the Dean of Rotterdam School of Management. Um, I was a Dean for eight years. I stepped down uh, last September. And I'm now on a sabbatical. Um, on top of that, I'm a Professor of Operations. And I've been on the Board of Trustees of AMBA for a couple of years. And as of April this year, I'm the Chair of the International Accreditation Advisory Board of AMBA. You've been at Rotterdam School of Management since 1997. How has the industry changed in that time? And how has the school changed in that time? Yeah, I've been with the school for a very, very long time, almost uh, 25 years. Wow. So I joined as an associate professor and clearly, you know, the main, my main task, my main role was research and teaching. And then gradually over time, I became more and more involved in the management uh, of the school. But uh, the, the big changes, I would say, um, a, a major change, at least that affected our school was the uh, Bologna Agreement. Uh, I think it came about in 97 or in 98, and the agreement harmonized uh, higher education in Europe. So essentially, it, it uh, introduced bachelor and master programs, and it harmonized those across Europe. And what it meant also over time is that it boosted the mobility of European uh, students. So internationalization became are very, very important for all schools. Uh, another major development is that in 20, 25 years back, professor, professors enjoyed a lot of freedom. Essentially, they could just go to the classroom and do whatever they like to do. But things have become much more professional. So now you have learning objectives and learning goals. We've got uh, assurance of learning systems. There's much more formalization around teaching and curricula. Um, another development is the, the, the strong emphasis on research. Um, maybe 20, 30 years ago, many schools were simply teaching schools. But over time, they started to put more attention to uh, to research, academic research. So I, I think these are a couple of major developments. So you've talked a little bit about how the sector has changed in the past. How do you think that the sector will change in the future? Uh, that, that, that's a very interesting question. 
Um, suppose you asked me this question two or three months ago, then my answer would have been totally different. And, and um, you know, the coronavirus appended almost everything. Uh, clearly, it has, if you look at what's happening now, so it, it's uh, uh, May, a couple of months after the, the, the virus, uh, schools just became very reactive or responded very, very reactively and moved everything online. Right? So they're still grappling with what's happening and they just want to make sure students can still graduate and, and, and follow courses. Uh, what's happening now at the end of May is that they are planning for the next half year next year. It's totally unclear whether or not uh, certain restrictions will be lifted. Uh, some schools, universities have already decided that the entire next year will be online. Uh, in certain countries, they've, they've decided that next half year, the next semester will be online. And in, other, in many other countries, it's still totally unclear. So schools are trying to figure out or planning what's going to happen in the next half year. So that would be the second stage. And then, of course, the third stage, that would be to strategize for the new normalcy, what will happen after the next half year or the next year. And for sure, we don't know, but for sure, there will be much more focus on online and blended learning. Uh, that's for sure a, a, a lesson that everyone has learned, uh, how to deliver courses online. And people have now a much better understanding of what can be done online, what cannot be done online. But for sure, if you think about the future, online learning and blended learning is here to stay. So I would say that that's one of the biggest things that's going to transform the industry. And of course, there are already other trends going on. Um, um, there's much more focus on experiential learning. It's like if you want to learn how to bike, right? I mean, you can't learn from books. You have to do it. And business and management is no different. So over the years, there already has been much more focus on experiential learning. There's also a stronger focus on interdisciplinary learning. Management business always has been, if you look at the programs, they always have been multidisciplinary, but now they're becoming increasingly interdisciplinary. So you need to work with other disciplines, whether it would be engineering or medicine or design, but definitely there will be a stronger focus on experiential real-life interdisciplinary learning than before. Um, and, and there are many other trends, right? Um, uh, business schools have to think about their role in society. So I was t talking about the development that I've seen over the last 20 years where a lot of teaching schools put more focus and became more research-led. Uh, and initially, the focus was on academic research. But nowadays, it's also about research that has societal impact. And societal impact is also a key word nowadays. It suddenly erupted maybe a couple of years ago. And again, that's here to stay. Schools have to think about how they can contribute to society. And research 
should be more than research that can be published in the top journals and nothing else. They need to have societal impact as well. So these are big trends that are going on everywhere, I would say. It's interesting that you talk about the ethical and sustainable nature of business schools. Why do you think it's so important for business schools to be at the forefront of this? And what impact do you think this could have in the world? So, frankly, I don't like the word sustainability that much because for many people it has a very narrow connotation, a very narrow interpretation. Uh, they link it to ecology and the environment only. So what I do like personally is the uh, sustainable development. So you may know that the United Nations uh, released their the, uh, the sustainable development goals a couple of years ago. And those goals define what's needed to create a sustainable world for all. So if I talk about sustainability, I like to talk about sustainability in that particular context, in the context of the sustainable development goals to, to, to create a more sustainable and, and, and a better world for everyone. Um, why is that important? Well, that has to do with all the big challenges the world is facing. The thing is we can't go on with doing what we're doing right now forever. I mean, we'll, we will be destroying our own world. So if you look at the big, those big challenges, then you talk about climate change, you talk about poverty and hunger and, and depletion of resources and inequality and injustice. So I could go on forever, it seems, right? But these are really the big challenges the world is facing. And I truly believe that, and I'm not just me, but many other people as well, that, that business schools have a key role to play to address and solve those big challenges. So from that point of view, uh, business schools have a very fundamental role to play. But, but then at the same time, from another perspective, uh, people are more and more seeking a purpose in their lives. And, uh, and it's not just a, a goal for themselves that they want to have, but they want to contribute to a better world. Many of those purposes, if you, if you ask people, are self-transcendent. And, and it's about contributing a better world. So if you add it two together, the need to create a sustainable world for all, and people seeking a purpose in their life, then it's clear that, that business schools have to focus more and more on, on sustainability and ethics. Looking into the future, what innovations in the higher education sector are you particularly interested or excited about? Yeah, to a large extent, then I, I would be echoing what I already said. Uh, if you look at where the world is going and where business schools are going. It's all about innovation and technology and entrepreneurship, uh, experiential multidisciplinary learning to create a better world. So if you put all these things together, uh, then I'm really excited about how business schools actually grapple with these challenges. So how can they transform the learning? How can they, how can they mold almost their students into responsive 
responsible leaders and decision makers and entrepreneurs to create a better world. But these are exactly the ingredients, experiential, multidisciplinary learning to create a positive societal impact. What about your role at AMBA? Can you tell us a little bit more about the International Accreditation Advisory Board? Yeah, so the advisory board, essentially what it does, it's uh, upholding and, and reviewing and, and periodically updating the standards to be AMBA and BGA uh, accredited. Um, uh, in addition to this, uh, we are reviewing the accreditation reports and either confirming or rejecting them. And then uh, we also give ad, ad hoc guidance about how particular standards can be uphold, upheld. Um, so, for instance, uh, I refer to schools having moved online almost overnight. So a big challenge for many schools is online assessment. So as an international accreditation advisory board, uh, we are also thinking about how this should be done in such a way that still the standards are met, that you still can provide the quality of assessment that students can expect or should expect. How do you think the role of accreditation bodies such as AMBA will have to change in response to the transformation of the higher education sector like we talked about? Yeah, so the answer to this question is an obvious yes. Absolutely, that's something they need to do. Uh, as an accreditation body, as any organization, to survive, you need to add value. You need to stay uh, relevant. So an accreditation organization like AMBA is staying relevant essentially in, in three ways. First, it provides a platform for people to meet, to exchange ideas, uh, to network to benchmark and so on. Second, uh, it's a source of data and information about the industry, about the new uh, trends, about the new developments, and uh, through webinars and podcasts, and but also through its magazine, uh, Ambition. And, and third, of course, you got the accreditation uh, itself. Um, if a school is accredited, Essentially, it signals to the market that it is providing high-quality education. So from that point of view, uh, having an accreditation is very important to, to, to schools and to the market and to students. And then you have the accreditation visits themselves. you got a team of uh, very competent deans assessing the school and providing very valuable consultation and a very valuable uh, feedback that really help, could help the schools to become better. So accreditation organizations in general provide value in different ways. And for sure, they need to keep doing this and they need to keep up with the markets in order to stay relevant. So yes, a, a very obvious yes to your answer. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast. You're most welcome. It was my pleasure. Um, and hopefully you found it useful.
I'm David Woodshill, Director of Marketing and Communications at Amber and BGA, and you're listening to the Ambition Podcast. This episode is kindly sponsored by Peregrine Global Services, which is a globally recognized leader in providing online assessment services, online educational services, and higher educational support services to institutions of higher education and academic organizations. The services are customized to the academic program and designed to address institutional and programmatic accreditation requirements related to quality, accountability, and continuous improvement. Peregrine Global Services solves accreditation challenges with customized academic solutions to improve the quality of higher education throughout the world. Last month, I caught up with Peregrine Global Services President and CEO Olin Odakoven to find out his thoughts on what the new normal could mean for business and business education and how business schools are responding to the challenge. Hi, Olin. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us for the podcast today. Um, I thought it might be interesting if you perhaps started the interview with sharing a little bit of information about yourself and and your career and what you do. Yeah. Well, thank you, David. Uh, uh, And I'm glad to uh, be a part of uh, today's podcast. Well, like many of today's professionals, my career was certainly not linear. Uh, I started out my career as a wildlife biologist and worked for the Wyoming Game and Fish Department for just about 20 years. Concurrently uh, with that service, I was also in the military and served 33 years. I retired in 2011 as a brigadier general. In uh, 2004, I founded the Peregrine Leadership Institute uh, to fill a gap in leadership development here locally in the uh, Rocky Mountain areas of, of the United States. In 2009, I formed Peregrine Academic Services to provide higher education support services. And then a couple of years ago, we started a charitable foundation, the Peregrine Global Foundation, to help uh, uh, support those in need around the world. And uh, most recently, we formed what we call the Peregrine Global Services uh, Corporation. Uh, that corporation helps develop uh, values-based leaders and improve quality in higher education around the world. So you've had a lot of different experiences in various leadership roles. And I think it's quite interesting that we're talking about leadership today because obviously um, at the time of record, the the world is in a very unique position. We're we're facing the coronavirus crisis. About, I think, 50% of the world are today in lockdown and leadership is more important than ever before. Could you perhaps share some of your advice for our listeners about what you deem successful leadership to be, especially in a crisis situation? Yeah, absolutely, David. Uh, Just talking about it with our team this morning, uh, the importance of leadership in a crisis uh, is so, so important. You know, to me, what comes to mind, what what makes a successful leader in a crisis, uh, first and foremost, is calm under pressure. Uh, The behaviors and actions that the leader exhibits to the rest of the team members, people pick up on that. If the leader is panicky and excited and anxious, the team will also be panicky, excited, and anxious. Um, So how we behave as senior leaders particularly helps set tone and context for the rest of our team, so that calm under pressure. Uh, Secondly, being decisive. And and when I say decisive, I don't mean quick, uh, but decisive. And there is a difference. between You can make quick decisions and they can be wrong. Decisive just means knowing when to make decisions and what the decision is. So clarity of purpose uh, is decisiveness. Uh, And then finally, just modeling the behaviors you want from others. 
if you if the expectation is that you participate in, in team meetings, then you have to participate in team meetings. If the expectation is engage with customers, you need to engage with customers. In a crisis situation, modeling those behaviors is so critical to get others to follow that leader. And I think that's a really good point because there is a balance here between leading and creating followership, if that makes sense. So in organizations at the moment, leaders are required to make fast, accurate and appropriate decisions, but also they need to ensure that their staff and, and their colleagues are focused and motivated. How do you think they can go about sort of striking that balance? Yeah, especially in these times where we're often dispersed because of the coronavirus situation. And for me, it's coming back to our foundation, our mission, vision, and values. I I frequently reinforce with the team what isn't changing. There's a lot changing going on and has changed, but I remind the team periodically what has not changed. Our mission, vision, values have not changed, which leads to kind of the second point. With change, we need to communicate the why. And even in times of crisis, when things are happening very quickly, we, need, we do need to make fast, accurate, and appropriate decisions. Taking the time to communicate the why behind the change and relating it back to your mission, vision, values is so critical. We also need to engage team members in the learning process. We're doing things. We're all reacting to change. We're all proceeding with changes. But don't forget, we're still learning in the process and what's the mechanism to capture lessons learned and reinforce each other. And it begins with the senior leaders, uh, being honest with yourself and noting those lessons learned to keep people engaged and uh, moving in the direction you want them to go with your mission, vision, values. And then I suppose considering middle management. So if you think about these messages cascading down in organizations, they're often stuck between senior level decisions of what, you know, the, the, the management level wants and also what staff want and need. So how then can senior management really work with middle management to make sure that they're able to cope with change required in a crisis? Yeah, great question. Uh, Middle management in most any organization is often the the key to success here. As a senior leader, uh, I recognize that my middle managers are the ones that uh, really carry the message forward to the, the rest of the staff and teams and middle management, it can only be as good as we set them up to be. Uh, and with, to make that successful for them, we need to communicate, coordinate, and collaborate. Uh, we often communicate. We can coordinate. Uh, the collaboration, getting people involved in the decision-making processes, um, listening to them, answering questions so that they feel confident in their responses so that when they carry those messages uh, to the rest of the staff, that they're doing it with a unified voice and they're doing it with confidence that they understand. So we must communicate the why. And, And while we're focused on middle management and they are trying to take care of their teams as senior leaders, I focus on taking care of the middle managers themselves making sure that they are okay, that their families are safe and secure, that they feel good about their job. Because if they don't, they can't carry that message forward. So focus on the middle managers themselves and making sure that their needs are met, and then they can carry the torch for you with the rest of the team. I think it's really fair to say that in the current climate, communication and collaboration have really been the the keys to, to success in business and keeping business up and running. Now, 
You're an expert in the in the higher education and business education landscape, and, and most of our listeners will, will come from those sort of backgrounds. Have you had any experience or have you witnessed any examples of business schools dealing with the challenge of working remotely and, and dealing with this crisis effectively? Um, and if so, how do you think that business schools can keep their teams working cohesively when they're outside of the, the actual business school environment? Good question. Over the last couple of months, I've had many conversations with uh, deans and presidents and directors of universities and schools around here in the United States and indeed around the world, participated with a number of uh, webinars and seminars with different leaders around the world. And I have noticed uh, a pattern of success, and that is, first and foremost, focusing on the mission. Uh, what is the mission of the institution? And while the processes of delivering on that mission may have changed, the clarity of what that mission is is so critically important. Initially, a lot of schools try to simply replicate what they did in the classroom. And classroom face-to-face is something virtual using new communication software. Uh, what they found very quickly was that's not going to be very successful. So the, the, the best success has come from schools who found innovative ways to engage in that learning process, shifting, if you will, towards a really student-centered learning approach, uh, that discovery learning by the students. So more and more, it's less about trying to lecture at them via Zoom or some other uh, communications tool. And it's more about engaging in the learning process and ex- getting students excited about learning while they are at home or um, trying to manage and work-life balance themselves. That's a really interesting point. And it's, it's, it actually resonates with, with an interview that I carried out a few weeks ago with, uh, with another business school leader who was sort of saying to me, well, at the start of the coronavirus, we, we were looking at this as a crisis and we wanted to, to come up with ways to, to sort of avoid the crisis continuing and, and, and try and carry on working as normal. But now we're seeing it more as an opportunity and a, a, an opportunity particularly to, to create new strategies, which is, which is fantastic. And it's a really positive byproduct of, of, of what's happening in the world right now. Do you think that there is a way that business schools could sort of work forward to provide a best practice guidelines for, for themselves and for other schools to, to really push forward during the pandemic and, and come up with new ways of doing things for the better for the longer term? Yeah, absolutely. Some of the best practices that I've seen thus far include uh, using their learning management system or LMS beyond just delivering content. Uh most schools have a learning management system, and in many situations, the learning management system was just a, uh, a means to post content and share content. Now, schools are looking at the learning management system as actually a, truly a learning platform. How can we engage uh, students with the learning process through the LMS in, in, in addition to some sort of webinar lecture or period, and what do we even do during those webinar times? Um, and the, the second best practice I've seen, although we tend to focus so much on the faculty and the students in that interaction, but there's a lot going on at schools, and the best practice I've seen is where they bring in the total resources of the school, the, the, the counselors and other key members of the staff that in a campus-based setting would be engaging with these learners. Uh, we need to replicate and incorporate that into the totality of the learning process. There's a lot of talent out there that can be brought to bear to help support that learning process with the students. And finally, maintaining a team-based approach and delivering that mission. 
physical distancing does not mean socially isolated. Uh, one of the worst things that can happen is when a faculty member or even a student feels isolated. Uh, my experience is bad things tend to happen when we feel in isolation. We're not as good as we can be. So using the tools, using the team meetings, using mechanisms to keep people um, socially engaged, engaged in the workplace while we do physical distancing to preserve our health, that's a balance that leaders need to uh, manage. Yeah, I think that, that's a really useful piece of advice, actually. And I, I completely agree with you in that we should be physically distant, but socially inclusive. And I think that's really vital at a time like this. Um, last question, Olin. I think that it's fair to say that business schools have been for years talking about the, the volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous environments that we live in. And VUCA has been a big thing that we've been dealing with um, in, in business in general for, for at least the past decade. But more crises could come in the future, more disruption could happen at any time. What do you think that business schools could, could do now to better prepare themselves to deal with uncertainty and potential crises in the future? Mm -hmm. yeah, in the military, we often did what was called what-if planning. Uh, these were usually tabletop exercises where you gather leaders together uh, from a variety of services, both the, the front line as well as support services together. And you think through, plan through a potential situation. Of course, nobody could have really predicted a global pandemic as a what-if scenario. But these are useful exercises, and they're usually facilitated by somebody so that key leaders don't have to both run the exercise and be in the exercise. It just takes a few hours sometimes to think through, talk through, whiteboard through different what-if scenarios. And as you do that, you're going to discover, you know, the gaps in uh, readiness, uh, in capability to provide something, um, some sort of critical service to uh, students or staff or faculty, wherever that looks like. Key here is that you have to have representation from all segments of the organization because that diversity of perspectives is where you're going to truly find the gaps. Once you've done one of these tabletop exercises or two or three of them, you need to do a risk analysis, focusing on those risks that are most likely first, and then work your way on down the list uh, to less likely but still possible type situations or scenarios, and then develop a plan for the changes that need to be made. In business schools, we teach uh, in our business strategy courses, uh, you know, in organizations, this kind of what if, what if the market did this, then how do you respond, and what changes that means for a business organization. We teach it in graduate business education and do it very well. Basically, we're going to take that same concept and apply it to ourselves under uh, as an institution of uh, this kind of what if planning and incorporate the results of that into our organizational or institutional uh, operations. Well, fantastic. That, that answers all my questions, Olin. And thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak to me, giving so, so much insight and also a lot of practical advice to people as well during these uncertain times and a lot of optimism about some of the great things that are happening in business schools and, and how we're moving forward in a really positive and constructive way. So thank you very much for, for speaking to us today. All right. Well, thank you, David. It's been a pleasure. Uh... Uh, to visit with you about this very timely topic. I'd just like to thank Olin again for his time in speaking to us today and also to Peregrine Global Services for sponsoring this podcast. You can find out more about Peregrine at www.peregrineglobal.com.